This is a Sharp Old Hat podcast and my name is Chris. The following chat was most interesting, informative, entertaining, inspirational, all of those indeed very good things. But most of all, it was an honest discussion and gave a profoundly personal account of someone just jumping into the deep end and doing extremely challenging things which made a hands-on difference. I found this humbling, provocative and surprising. Punk is not dead, and there are still people with a sharp attitude around, even in Kimbara. I can't thank her enough for sharing her experiences and views. It's been a blast. This is a conversation with Maeve Kelly. Peter um, to Lesbos a couple of times, like yeah, and then to chaos as well. Like yeah. went back forward a few, good few times, yeah. yeah. But what yeah. made you? What made you get into this in the first place? Um, wow, well, that's a it's a very big question because I've always been into human rights. I've always sort of fought for the smaller person when they haven't got a voice themselves, hmm. um, and uh, I guess I would have already been involved a lot with the cause, so to speak, of the Palestinians and would have been very politically aware about all of that. And I was very aware of the situation in Syria prior to it all blowing up there. But um, I, I guess from having done a lot of work on the sidelines with, with people who are asylum seekers and um yeah people who have been trying to just get on with their lives and by by state laws and borders have been told they can't whereas i've always had the freedom to go wherever i want yeah i've always felt that a little bit of payback is not a bad thing to go and do something and then when the uh sort of influx started to really kick off and all these people were coming over in boats to lesbos uh, it was I, I was I was just horrified and because I had been already involved with so much I kind of was seeing it before the mass media picked up on it mm. and I just something in me just uh, they were desperate they were absolutely yeah. desperate to come out and help yeah. and I said well I've got time in my hands and you know my daughter's left home yeah. I, 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 like, I can't see any reason why I shouldn't go over there yeah. and um so then I was in a cafe in the village in Kinvara. Uh, it's gone now, but it was a cafe called Ishka. And I was just having a coffee yeah, there and thinking about it all. And I'd slept on it. I went, I think I'm going to do this. And uh, my friend Peter Brazier came in and I just said, I think I've just made a bit of a mad decision. And he said, what is it? And I told him <laughs> and he went, I'm coming with you. And I went, really? And he went, yeah, I'm going to come with you. And then... I got onto another friend. I, they were mostly the idea. Mostly was a little bit of la la land because I've always used music as a bit of a therapeutic instrument as well as playing for entertainment. And I said I'd really like to go to the camps, and play music and do music with the kids and just give them a little bit of light while we're there. And Peter said, "No, I'm absolutely on for that." So then we got onto another couple of musician buddies who said they'd come with us as well, yeah. and. Um, so that kind of then just in the matter of about we we did some fundraising, 
raise a bit of awareness and because the whole world and media were on it because of that little boy Elan being found face down on a beach the world was like wanting to help at that point so um, it was quite easy to gather the funds and to gather we brought so much we brought so much medical equipment and everything like we just loads of stuff and went out there but luckily I'd kind of thought as I was watching it all develop I went do you know what now we could be caught out just driving one end of the island to the other and a boat could just land in front of us because at this point there was 11,000 people a day yeah. landing on an island about it's four times the size of Inishmore you know and um, so it, there was a high chance that we'd be driving along the road and a boat would just land and would we know what to do so no so we all went and did first aid and we went and did emergency logistics and we just like before, before, before we went, went like, yeah, yeah just to get a bit of awareness and training into ourselves um, and I'm very very glad we did because we got there we got up to the north of the island where one of the bigger camps was and um, we sort of went to volunteer ourselves with a, a couple called Eric and Philippa Kempson who lived on literally lived on the beach on the north coast and they were the very first people who started raising awareness because I mean this didn't start in 2015 there used to be intermittent people coming over yeah. all the time but it really, really built up and they were like, they were looking out their window, just watching boat after boat after boat and people, you know, drowning, people yeah. not knowing. They, these are people that have come from countries that don't have sea yeah. and they don't know how to, yeah, it's grand. I mean, you're going across the stretch of water, but yeah. it's the most dangerous points. I don't know if you know about boating yourself, but Nothing, the most dangerous whatsoever. parts of any boat's journey is embarkation and disembarkation. Okay. This is where most drownings happen. Mm. And um, so anyway, we I had connected up with Eric and Philippa via Internet. You know, we'd been chatting for a long time. So we went straight to them and we said, listen, you know, this is what we're thinking to do. And they went, no, I'm near Nelly. <laughs> we, uh, we need people on land, sea rescue and we need them now. We yeah. just need that's what we need you to do. And we were like, all right, OK. <laughs> so um, that was it. So we just started becoming part of a rota and you'd be literally patrolling the coast on sort of four or five hour shifts of driving and due to take, we zoned out the coast into like A, B, C, D, E or whatever. And we'd take a zone and we'd patrol it. And you basically um, take action wherever you'd action take action. is needed, whatever yeah, action yeah. is so needed. You'd, like. You'd, like, a lot of the time you'd, they, people would arrive in the night. So you're literally, you're driving, you turn off the engine, you'd stand there and you're listening. Yeah. Or you're trying to see if you can see mobile phone lights in the water yeah. and things like that. And then we'd always have a car load of emergency blankets, dry socks was the biggest thing, uh-huh. and water and some snacks. Yeah. And then you'd go and you'd, you'd see them arrive and yeah. you'd just run down and you'd help to steady the boat so they could get out and you'd calm them down and yeah. wrap them in emergency. This was winter and yeah. winter in Greece is freezing. Yeah, it's not so, all that pleasant, um, like, not what you expect like yeah. from the holiday pictures when you go on Yeah, no, I mean, I had no idea. I had no idea that would be, it's, it's, it's bitterly cold in Greece in the winter. So, yeah, so we'd be wrapping them in emergency blankets yeah. and getting them warm. And they'd be so cold that they couldn't even take their own shoes off. You'd have to take their shoes off and put dry socks onto them. Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, you you're know, coming were, out of were, the yeah. cold here, like, you know, with your fingers on yeah. them. And yeah. then there was always, we'd always have a little emergency place, about three or four of them along the coast, where there'd be a stash of dry clothing. Yeah, OK. So yeah. we'd, get, we'd get them to the dry clothing place. Yeah. And we'd get them kitted out and dry clothed in and calm them down and make sure that everybody was safe and accounted for. Yeah. And then they, they, you know, so that that was our, our It's really job. first aid. 
It was it was first aid. It was absolutely we were in a triage. So you'd also you know, you did see uh, a lot of nasty injuries that it's very hard to unsee. Yeah. Because they were literally coming from a war zone. With shrapnel injuries, not having those shrapnel injuries treated while they were coming through Turkey. Sure. Then sepsis, you name it. Uh, A lot of them would have um, burns from, they would have lit fires. When they were in Turkey, they'd be on, hiding out in the forest, waiting for the smugglers to give them the shout. And, you know, they'd they'd be lighting fires and it was burns and it was, you know, it was, uh, yeah. So there was a lot of triage going on as well. But... uh, it was one of the most rewarding experiences ever as well in that, you know, you would, once you got somebody calmed down and you could be waiting an hour, two hours for the bus to come to bring them to the camp. And that's once they just relaxed a little bit, you'd sit on the wall with them and you'd have a chat. Yeah. And, you know, and Google Translate is your friend there, do you know? <laughs> but, but a lot of them, the Syrians are, you know, at, at this point, anyway, very highly educated. They're the most highly yeah. educated people, really, in the Middle East. Yeah. They were the most westernized in yeah. the Middle East. Um, uh, the Damascus University had the same reputation as, say, Oxford or Cambridge yeah. or, you know, things like that. Uh, so the first wave of people, which happen in any refugee crisis, the first wave are the educated. They're the ones with the money, the yeah, ones that can course. just go, we can go, let's the leave. The ones who could get out. Yeah, who, like yeah who can get out and have, but have had the political awareness to know this was coming as well. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. You know, and the uh, means as it's, to yeah, begin with. The means and the, and the knowledge and the know-how. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. so, you know, a lot of the people that we met at first were the architects, the engineers, the lecturers, sure. the, you know. Yeah. But so, therefore, a lot of them had excellent English. But, you know, you'd just sit on a wall. And I remember sitting on a wall with a guy and uh, I said, uh, how are you? You know, and he was like, well, I've just seen the most beautiful city in the world, destroyed. He was an archaeologist. Mm. And, um, sorry, I get very emotional talking about these people because you get such a, a connection with them in such yeah. a short time. And uh, he was from Palmyra. And Palmyra was one of the mm. most, it was one of the beds of civilization yeah. of our, our whole world. Yeah. And um, it was destroyed in front of him. And he was an archaeologist whose life's work was yeah. protecting this <laughs> and he gathered himself and 15 members of his family and they just left and got into a rubber dinghy. Yeah. And here he was sitting on a wall on an island in Greece chatting yeah. to a paddy. <laughs> you and know, no. like just that. But it was just, you know, and I always wonder what happened to that guy. You know, there's people I always wondered. There was like another woman who was a, a piano teacher and um, she was just incredible. What an incredible woman. She had taken off not only with her own children, but with another woman's children yeah. and had taken this journey with all these children and was just yeah. on a mission to just get them all safe. And like everybody at that time was on a mission, to just get to Germany because the doors to Germany yeah. were open, um, <clears throat> you know. But um, yeah, as things progressed, we went back and forth a few times to Lesbos, but it got more and more militarised and, uh, you know, Fortress Europe kicked in and Frontex came, who are the the European kind of military front. And uh, you you were running into the danger of getting arrested if you tried to help these people. You could have been done for people smuggling. Oh, really? Even when you're already on land? Yeah, uh, you would be aiding and assisting human trafficking. 
Jesus. Yeah, so it became more and more militarised and it became more yeah. and more in, kind of impossible to carry out what we were in, had aimed to do. Um, so I just on an aside, we did end up being able to go and play music in the camps as well. We did do that. Yeah. And that brought great joy to everybody on all sides. But yeah. even that became impossible that they wouldn't let us in because they didn't want us to see the conditions. There was a camp um, on, on Lesbos that was just hell on earth. It yeah. was absolute hell on earth. It's... I can't even put into words how bad yeah. the conditions were in this place and people were just stuck there. Oh, yeah. And um, it was just yeah beyond horrific. So the authorities stopped letting us in because they didn't want people reporting what it was like. Well, of course, yeah. Anyway, we went back for another trip to Lesbos and um, it became r- rapidly clear to us that we, weren't be able to, we were not going to be able to do what we'd set out to achieve yeah. there. And we had heard that there was another island further south called Chios, which was having a, a huge amount of problems and not enough volunteers. And this was becoming the place, the hotspot. Because, of course, the word goes out amongst all the, the refugees as well. Don't go to Lesbos, sure. you'll get hammered by the military. So they all started heading yeah. south and coming to Chios. And Chios was then found herself in a position, much smaller island, much less resources. So we had a meeting... Um, one evening and we just said, um, do you know, th- 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 this is a bit untenable here. We're not, we, a lot of people have funded us to come and do stuff and we can't do that stuff. So we took a vote and it was not just us, like we called ourselves Road to Hope, the Kinvara crew and Galway crew, but there was other people who were, we had sort of become quite good friends with over the few visits and we'd all worked together as yep. a team. And we all sat down and we took a vote and we said, let's go to Chaos. So I got in touch with who I knew was in charge of things down there. I mean, these are all just ordinary people who are yeah. set up ad hoc stuff. So got on to this woman uh, called Tula. And I said, listen, there's a group of us. We're all pretty well versed in how it all works. We've been doing it in Lesbos for quite a while. We'd like to come down and help. And she went, when can you come? Yeah. And I said, we'll hop on the ferry tomorrow. So we all just got on the ferry, went down to Chaos and off we went again and... And did the same thing as you would have Did the same thing, yeah. To begin with. Yeah, and we were able to really hit the ground running. Yeah. Like, you know, we just hit the ground running. We knew exactly what to do. And you obviously now had the experience that you knew what to expect more Uh, or less. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. But just going back, like, um, to to what made you do it, so you already had an awareness of um, the wrongs in the world, and there was one particular thing you picked. And when you saw the news, if I understand this correctly, it was kind of... No, actually, I can help. I yeah. want to help. It was more like a human impulse. It wasn't like coming out of some, I don't know, a political organization that no. you kind of knew that um, there is a job to be done as such. It was really just your own personal human impulse. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it was it was human impulse uh, fed by an awareness of what was yeah. going on. Yeah. And an awareness that there was a very massive injustice in the yeah. world, which I always have always believed that there's a massive yeah. injustice in how refugees are treated and that they des- they deserve a bit of humanity yeah. just as much as the rest of us. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so, and that's always been... But is my, that something you grew up with, with that political awareness, whether it's, uh, whether it's from your parents or from the school you went to, um, that you got this political awareness, or was it a particular group, you kind of, group of friends you kind of fell into? combination of both really um my mother was uh, very very much into human rights okay um she didn't like you know 
if she had heard any of her children come out with anything remotely racist, yeah. even if it was using a word that every other kid was using for travelling community or something like that, okay, we, would, yeah. we would get a clip over the back of the head for cool. it. Um, and my mother brought us to uh, travellers' sites and things like that as children. She'd made friends with travellers. Okay. So we, we were brought up to believe everyone's equal, yeah. you know. And then I suppose as I became a teenager... Um, I became aware that not everybody thought like that and that there were arseholes out in the world that sure. thought the complete opposite. And I kind of had been heading down the kind of punk road a bit and I was also hanging Good out. With, yeah. <laughs> and I was hanging out with a lot of skinheads from Sharp. Yeah. And uh, so we might, may or may not have taken it upon ourselves to put yeah. manners on some of these people. Yeah. Do you know? But, uh, yeah, was, <laughs> I know where you're coming from. Yeah. I enjoyed that for a couple of years yeah. myself. Yeah, yeah. It's a great oh. gig. Yeah. No, it's just um, interesting because in that sense, I mean, I'm in Ireland now for most of my adult life. Um, I don't know, a quarter of a century plus. And um, like this is rather unusual for Irish people. I'm from West Berlin. I had a very liberal upbringing. Like my parents were ultra conservative, but I was in a great spot when it came to education. Yeah. Like we had really open-minded teachers and obviously sort of um, a generation and a half after the Holocaust, like um, we still had teachers who were uh, young adults when the Second World War ended. And then we had obviously teachers, the young ones would be sort of the generation of uh, mm. 68, 69, like the student protests and all that. So we were kind of, obviously, we seem to have a similar upbringing in that sense, like with political awareness and tending to the left. Like, But um, for Irish people, that's very unusual. Whereas my generation in West Berlin, like, you know, there would be more of that. Yeah. Um, I know that might be quite a broad generalization, if you don't mind me saying that, the yeah. Irish people. I, I, I think, in fairness, in my experience, the Irish are some of the most politically aware in Europe. They, they, we've... Mm. We, we grew up with a culture of civil war politics that none of us really understood, but that we, uh, the political discussion in every household yeah. in Ireland would have happened a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, and um, I, I'd, even in school, there would be a lot of political discussion. I don't know what it's like in school nowadays, but yeah. I know when I was going to school, yeah. we even had a, 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 a specific class called civics, yeah. which was about political discussion. So uh, the Irish, the Irish are very politically aware, but what they're not is they're not politically active. Yeah. Okay, that's the difference. That I subscribe that's, to, that's, that's yeah. That's the difference. Yeah. Like, whereas... In Europe, in France, in Berlin, yeah. in places like that, people get pissed off about something. They go out and they riot. Yeah. <laughs> or they go out and they march. Like the firemen strike, the yeah. postmen, the binmen, the yeah. pilots, everybody goes on strike yeah. with them in solidarity. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you just have to look at the protests in France even at yeah. the moment, you know. Um, but in Ireland, we're just, I, I think it's a frustrating part of our nature, but also a lovely part mm -hmm. of our nature is... We don't get too riled about stuff. It's non-confrontational. Not, we're non-confrontational, do you know? Yeah, that's um, and that, but we're like, it's that would, doesn't mean that we're not aware yeah. of the shite that's yeah. going down. You know, but, it's like it, it's we we do know yeah. what's going down, and we do know like like look at what's yeah. happening with RTE at the moment, right? 
Like, it's like, <laughs> only in Ireland would everybody be just, ah, oh, Jesus, that's awful funny, and making memes about it. Like, yeah, in other country, yeah. like, there'd be a protest by now. Like, oh, you know Jesus, what I mean? Yeah, heads would so, have rolled already. Yeah. Um, mind you, like, I, on a funny side, I would nearly say, like, that um, a lot of people, and that's not Irish people, that's people in general, like, you know, when they hear a story of corruption like that, it's like, um, they're just pissed off they're not in on it. Like, yeah. Um, but no, that's actually, that's, that's cool the way you put it, because I really like the people of my generation um, I would have met in Ireland now, they would not be politically expressive by and large. Yeah. We always have outliers like, but um, yeah, but maybe it's really a question of awareness um, versus um, activism. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I never saw it this way. Yeah. 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 But so you went out and you did um, the humanitarian humanitarian things there on the islands, and you would say that this is uh, an experience. Obviously, you made you grow as a person again. Mm-hmm. Um, but why this particular cause? When you say that you're polit- politically aware and have been aware of social injustices for more than all your life, why this particular cause? Was it just? Just Maybe. something called me. I don't know. Something yeah. called me. It was timing. It, it, it was. It was timing, Chris. You know. Yeah. I was a single mother. Oh I, yeah, you I, said I that your daughter, daughter up, moved. You know. Yeah. I. I've, um, sure. I. I didn't. I would not have been able to do something like this prior oh, yeah. to this. I, I. It was. It was timing. It was. Yeah. It was time and place that yeah. I had the time. Yeah. I had the. You know. I just. I wasn't bound by anything. Yeah. And I felt. And as a result of that, I went. I should go because I can go. That makes perfect sense um, because um, I was talking to a good few people now over the last um, year or so, year and a half, ever since the Ukrainian refugees arrived in Ireland. And whereas, um, like, I I have some experience from living in uh, 2015, 2016 in Berlin, like where a lot of refugees came from um, mainly the Middle East and Afghanistan. um, And... uh, maybe 10% or so, like, you know, from Central Africa. But um, there was definitely um, something in the last uh, year and a half, ever since the Ukrainian arrived, where um, a question presented itself. um, Why is Ireland, and I generalize here, Mm -hmm. but why is the society as such going out, all out to help Ukrainian refugees where they could have helped people from more dissimilar parts Mm -hmm. to Ireland Mm -hmm. uh, before? Yeah. And that's that's a very big question, and um, it's a very frustrating question because for years I have worked with asylum seekers and refugees, just helping them when they need stuff, helping them to connect them up with the right authorities and the right people to try and just help them move their cases forward and things like that, and. I can't imagine what it's been like for them who have been stuck in this limbo for up to 12 years, maybe longer, oh, and to watch everything just happen so quick. But do you know what? I haven't heard one single one of them say that this shouldn't be happening yeah. for the Ukrainian people. Yeah, yeah. It's just they're frustrated that it's not also happening for them. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah it's a, it's a, you could look at it on one level and go... Is it because the Ukrainians are white and Christian? And I could be very cynical and say that that Mm. might be the case. But I do think that probably it is, there might be a small element of that, but I I honestly don't think the EU could present itself like that. 
Um, but the, like, we are bound as members of the EU to do this. Yeah. This was a directive from Brussels. Okay, that's one thing. There is also a bit of Mayfainism, uh-huh. okay, in that we are also super aware. If the Russians had come in from the coast yeah. of Europe and hit us, where would we go? We'd have to be looked after. So, like, there is a bit of, like, yeah. Jesus, it could have been us lads, do you know? And, and um, you know, it's just like, they, we don't really have anything to <laughs> offer the Russians. That's why they didn't do us. Like. But, uh, like, it's like, it, there is also that, my God, we better do this because if, if it ever does happen to us, we need that to be reciprocated somewhere. You know, and that's so, and and that that would be a very much an Irish mentality about when it comes to the EU, we are the most loyal yeah. Europeans. Yeah. No, Do I you know, like yeah. we really are, and we're and now we're we're an outlier yeah. of the EU because yeah. Britain has left. So we really are kind of like we better just like yeah, let's toe the line yeah. here, lads. Yeah. Like you know, so yeah. that's where how I think is that's all playing out really. Well, it really is a question. I had this just very briefly when Stephen Dowds was here. Like, um, I didn't. I don't want to imply any kind of motives of racism or exclusion of very different people to the Irish or the Europeans. I'm, by the way, a very happy European. Like, I didn't, never, never needed any nationalism in my life yeah. to make myself a person. Like, in Europe, the concept is a great one, I think. Like, we can go wherever we want and we can do whatever we want. Yeah. Um, broadly speaking. But no, I don't mean to imply any kind of... Um, racism as a general blanket like for people's motivations mm-hmm. to to help one group of people and not so much the others but it's definitely a phenotype there mm-hmm. do you know why did it and you, you put it quite well people are frustrated from other parts of the world why did it take so long or why does it take so long to deal with our plight with our administrative issues mm-hmm. here to become mm-hmm. Irish citizen and citizens and why did it take uh, only a couple of weeks perceived like you know for Ukrainians to come here and work here like it's a different instrument yeah this is what this is the thing is that the instruments that were in place for asylum seekers in Ireland, Ireland for a very long time was somewhere that, well, actually, why would anybody want to come here? So they didn't really well, have to bother the putting Irish instruments immigrated. in. Yeah. yeah. So, they, you know, they didn't really have to bother putting instruments in place. So when they did have to start putting instruments in place, it was sticking plaster ones and they went, oh, Jesus, we better, yeah. no, okay, no, oh, fuck, oh, Jesus, they're all having babies on planes here. Fuck, no, we're, having, we're, <laughs> we're going to have to say that they can't automatically yeah. become Irish citizens when the baby's yeah. born here. And, oh, shit, no, now they're doing that. Oh, God, we're going to have to stick and plaster that. Yeah. So it's, a, it's this mishmash of uh, instrument after instrument that's been put together that has no logic and no string to it and uh, one department hasn't got a clue what the instruments of the other department are and this is a big problem and it's an and the ongoing always problem of civil service in Ireland is there's way too much middle management that nothing gets passed so it's stuff gets lost and it's the same it's it's the same it's it's bureaucracy you know but when it came to the uh, taking the Ukrainians in, it was an instrument designed by Brussels and imported by us. Okay. This is what you need to do, guys. Okay, you need to offer them accommodation. You need to offer them the right to work. You need to give them free transport for a while because these were all EU directives. So yeah. civil service, well, grumble, that's nice and easy. Grand. We have Box, a rule. Boxes ticked. Yeah. And so it was a completely different system. Yeah. 
That's the difference. And it makes sense the way you explain it. I mean, we have in, um, like, uh, Germany took, and a lot of them landed in West Berlin in the, in around 1980, um, in the, throughout the civil war in Lebanon. We have a lot of um, Lebanese people in Germany, and they came over in around 1980, and a lot of them still haven't got um, a work permit. Mm -hmm. So we are talking, uh, what, 50 years on of yeah. a, a over 40 years anyway, and they still haven't got a work permit. Their children are um, allowed to go to school in Germany, but still some of their children, which would be my generation now in around 50 plus, like um, they still haven't got a work permit. And that obviously furthers then um, violence, furthers crime. I mean, you may have heard about all those um, uh, crime families in mm. Germany now mm. operating and being investigated of Arabian descent, uh, most notably of Lebanese descent. Yeah. And that goes back to, they still haven't got a work permit 45 years on. Yeah. That's just crazy shit. Like. Yeah. And then it's uh, funny to see how, for example, the German government, which is supposed to be a social democratic, a green government, um, sort of taken on this code, like, you know, we beacons of social liberties and civil rights. Like, we tell the EU effectively, because of the economic strength of the country, we tell the EU effectively how to deal with refugees. Mm -hmm. And it's just uh, mind-boggling. Yeah, right? it is. It is mind-boggling. That's funny. Yeah. You mentioned Lebanese and Berlin and one thing, and that goes, some of the best Lebanese food I ever had in my life is in <laughs> Berlin. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I know it's, it, it's a big problem. And we have a similar problem here with Brazilian people. Yeah, you know, so there's like it's 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 an ongoing torturous issue for the undocumented Brazilians in Gort yeah. up the road from us. You yeah. know, um, it's yeah again bureaucracy paperwork a stroke of a pen could sort that out. Yeah. Now they are they're talking about it, yeah. but we'll see. <laughs> you know, like there's so many strings attached yeah. to being given them residency that some of them are going to terrified of it. Yeah, so, of course, and you know, there are lots of them because they're falling through the cracks, like Brazilians in that case, when you mention yeah. it, um, who don't go to school here. I mean, I met a good few Brazilians, um, young people, we're talking like in around 20, who haven't a word of English, but they're already in Ireland for five, six, seven years, like, which yeah. is crazy. So how are they supposed to make headway in Irish society yeah, if they don't uh, even speak the language? Yeah, and, and never mind that. I mean, if they need medical care, they, it's, it's, it, that's, 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 that's awful situation yeah. for them any kind of if something happens that they can't make any money at all there is no uh, social welfare net yeah. for them to fall into and you know these it's were people wild. who came over here at, to work yeah it's wild. they were brought in here yeah. to work yeah. in a meat factory yeah. it was not their fault that meat factory closed and that but they're all they've they had been here for a few years and had set up lives what yeah. were they meant to do oh, yeah, and sent then and then the Bolsonaro factor yeah you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't go back. You know, no, no, so you know, days. you wouldn't be in a rush to go back. Yeah. You know, so uh, oh no, look, yeah. it's a, it's a, it's a fucked up, unfair world. It really is. Um, we are. I, 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 countless times, I just say to myself, oh my god, well, how lucky was I to be born in the decade I was yeah. born in, and in the country that I was yeah. born in, the part of the world I was born in, and you know, it goes back to why do I want to. Try well, and sort out some injustice. Yeah. I, I feel honour bound. Yeah. Oh, really? You know, I feel like, yeah. you know, it's like we're so privileged. Yeah. I, I I, think I lost that, actually. Like, from yeah. my, 
myself personally, um, I'm too busy with my own shit. There would have been a period in my in my youth, like um, where I didn't have any time, I didn't didn't have any kids, no career to think of. Uh, basically, at university, I could do whatever I want to, and eventually, I came to Ireland. But uh, I, I I think I got very cynical over the decades, like mm. with with life progressing, life advancing. We lived in many different places in the last number of years, and I probably lost it along the way. So that urge and that that rage. Actually, um, yeah. I, I don't have it anymore. But you're, you have children. You have children who are still at school age. Yeah, yeah. Going age. yeah. Never underestimate yeah. how much of your heart and mind children of school at going age take. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's it, true. It, it's, it, it really, I, like, it's become your, your, I mean, they, they are the center of your universe. Yeah. And you do everything you do is for them. And to, to, you know, to, to make sure that they go through life comfortably. Yeah. But then they leave home. Um, it'd be interesting to watch yourself then go, oh, now <laughs> I've got a gap. <laughs> what will I do? You know, I mean, like, but it, it mightn't be that you yeah. actually ask yourself that. Yeah. It's just stuff might present yeah. itself to you. And you yeah. go, oh, well, actually, I've got the time and space for that now. Yeah. Like, you know, because they do. They just yeah. they take every bit of time and space. Well, you of have, course. Like, and you know. let's not make it sound too selfless no, like there's no selfless critique but children are um, our duty and it's logistics it's logistics <laughs> it's like you know yeah. you are a taxi driving ATM machine for 18 Absolutely. years like, you know? yeah. <laughs> it's well, like, one thing uh, is for sure I'm not going to play golf like. no. <laughs> <laughs> but, no it's um, you surely know New Model Army yeah that'd be my favorite band I saw them again on their what was it the 42nd or 43rd band anniversary I saw them the first time around in the mid 80s in oh. Berlin like and it was last year in Dublin and Justin Sullivan he's now boss pass age and still has this fire in his it's eyes mad it's just crazy and I would have yeah. seen them about I don't know two dozen times over yeah. the years like and he's still there like at you know, that age still raging and uh, still pumping and, um, but anyway so I just um, I interrupted you there and that's great to be completely digressed. <laughs> so you went now to Kios and um, helped those good people there and as much as you could. Mm -hmm. Would you say that um, you got proficient, obviously, in this first aid, um, what you provided when people landed on the beach? And did you say you got a little bit hardened or calloused as well by doing it for more than a week? There must well, be some process uh, setting in where you go it's, like it's funny it's funny yeah so, um uh one of the like uh, one, one of the other people from Road Hope was looking for some photos the other day because we wanted needed to send them so I had to the only way I could find them I went through two different laptops finding photos and I actually took very few photos really but uh I was like then I went okay I must have to I'll have to go back through my old Facebook posts and everything so I went back and I almost got PTSD I read because what I did was I wrote. I didn't really take photos. So I, so kept I, the journal. I, I wrote, you know, I kind of journaled it. Yeah. And uh, as I was reading it, I was like, that was an incredibly heavy time. And it was just incredibly heavy. And um, sorry, I'm digressing now, but it's no. like um, I got to a point where, yes, I got very angry with. Europe mm -hmm. and how with Europe that's how I, that's who I got angry with really was the, the Frontex factor and the, the the conditions that these people were being put into and the, 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 the world condition that forced them to have to do this in the first place and how 
how I, I don't know. I, 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 yes, I got very cynical. Yeah. I got very, very cynical. I also got very, very burnt out. I, I saw, I just saw too many things. I just saw too, too many things that I couldn't, uh, my, my, my brain just couldn't process anymore. I've really been a war veteran. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, d- I just couldn't process it. And, you know, if you look at, you know, firemen or ambulance drivers yeah. or, you know, EOR, people working in the EOR and things like that, they get training in how to deal with that sort of stuff. We didn't. We didn't give, yeah. we weren't given any mental tools of how to deal with it. Um, So I, I just... I don't know. I I I can I can remember just like the other day, like reading through one post where a lot of people were leaving, and um, I still had some time, and I was like, I'd been there a month, and I just went, I think I I think I can stay on, and, you know, and I really had a long chat with myself, and I went, no, I think I can do this, and I put a post up going, okay, I'm I'm thinking about staying on. And this this flood of funding came in. An anonymous donor sent me money to make sure that my accommodation was paid for and everything like that. And I stayed on. And um, that kind of finished me off. It I, 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 That was it by the end of that. I was just completely burnt out. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I still find it very hard to talk about how I just couldn't do it anymore. But mm. I just couldn't do it anymore. So I took a a big step back and I, you know, there was other people like Frank and Eileen and things like that. They kept going and they, they set up a language centre and they kind of focused on teaching and things like that. And yeah. um, they, of course, they were still going out and doing the, the, the sort of rescue stuff as well. But it had become so militarised in chaos as well that it was very difficult yeah. to do as well. Uh, one of the things that really finished me off, actually... <laughs> where I just went, okay, <laughs> this this is the world telling me not to do this anymore, was um maybe the third last day in chaos. Um, we'd heard about you'd have abnormal landings, a lot of the time when it when it came to, towards when it become more militarized, the military would come out to these boats and yeah. escort them into ports. Okay. Okay, but of course you'd get abnormal landings where somebody would just slip through. Yeah. And. One, we heard about one happening that was in the um, south of the island, I think it was. It was anyway, it was in another part of the island. Mm-hmm. So a couple of us, we heard it was a sizable amount of people. So uh, two carloads of us hightailed it down there. Yeah. And um, the there was a lot of Greek people there. And they, we it also had a lot of the far right. It started to be really infiltrate down there. Mm. They were busing the far right down from Holland, like like it was. They were really scary fuckers. So and they really just flew them. Oh in my and god! They yeah, we we had. Yeah, they were really stirring, just oh, as they're doing here in Ireland now. They were stirring. Yeah, sure. And well, yeah. um, anyway, so they, that's an aside as well. But anyway, we got down there, and uh, there was all these very, very irate Greek people and Greek taxi drivers and things like that. And they were were just really irate. And they surrounded us. And I got surrounded by a group of these men just screaming at me and shouting at me and everything like that. And I was like, oh, fuck, fuck, fuck. Like, this isn't good. And the cops were doing nothing. So you knew which side. The cops in in Greece are always either left or right. 
It's a look at the draw. Yep. There's no middle ground. Yeah. There's no middle ground in Greece. And uh, I th- these guys were just ignoring it. And they were they were really surrounding me. And I was like, okay, I'm 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 in trouble here. And uh, <laughs> I just I doesn't it takes an awful lot for me to cry, right? Yeah. But I burst into yeah. tears. And I I just stood. I didn't know what else to do. I just burst into tears. This is not good. But this this is this is it. I'm I'm fucked. Like what? um, Anyway, these the Greeks are just so funny because they went from aggressive to going. Oh no no no! Oh no! You're okay. You're okay. Oh no no no! You're fine. Like right, and they backed off completely. But anyway, these people, these poor feckers that had arrived in by the boat, were this was this was hot. It was really 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 hot temperatures. A lot of them were Afghanistani. And a uh, lot of children. And um, we were trying to give them water. And I was trying to f- ask a restaurant, could one of them use the toilet? Because, you know, the, the, the women, yeah, they can't just do what a bloke does. And they're, you know, they're traditional women. Oh, they, I've seen it done. You know, they, they needed, they needed, they needed yeah. toilets. Yeah, of course. But, you know, and um, big fights with a cafe. Come on, please. Do you know, yeah. and everything like that. And no, no go. But anyway, uh, the police just decided they were going to get nasty and they arrested myself and another three or four people. We had one very hot-headed Mexican woman who may have stirred it a bit. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I know what was happening. Sorry, I'm backtracking. Let me backtrack a bit. It got very, 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 very tense because... The police decided that they were going to let these people leave this place in chaos. They were going to put them on a ferry and send them off to a really tiny island. Where there was a facility. Uh, we, we, don't we don't know. We don't know what it But um, so this word spread amongst all the refugees who had landed and panic kicked in. True. And... We were trying to, th- this ferry was there. In fairness, we were like, oh shit, this isn't good. Like, and so, yes, the hot headed Mexican <laughs> <laughs> went roaring at them, roaring at the ones that were, because yeah. the police were hurting them onto this boat. And she went, like, don't get on the boat, don't get on the boat, and everything like that. And of course, the police lost the plot about yeah. this. And uh, what was it? I can remember it was something to do with her accent. Oh, yeah. She's she was she was saying the policy, the policy. <laughs> they say the, the, the Afghanis thought she said Turkey, Turkey. <laughs> so they thought they were being shipped well, back to Turkey. Yeah. So there was a fucking stampede yeah. on this ferry, and like of them trying to get off, and it was, it was just lost in translation. But anyway, yeah. in the heel of the hunt, the uh, a few of us got arrested, and the the ferry. What everyone had got off the ferry, so it was this standoff a literally a Mexican standoff going off down on the port <laughs> and those of us that were arrested were brought into the cop shop and they said they said we're going to cut a deal with you and we said well what's the deal and they said you talk them into getting onto the ferry and we'll let you go and we yeah. said fuck you yeah. you know just fuck you that's not fucking happening like do you know and yeah. they, so this standoff in the cop shop standoff Continue in the port there. And uh, eventually, uh, we oh yeah, and there's another thing was there was no mobile phone coverage down there. 
Oh shit! <laughs> so we couldn't get a hold of anyone yeah. to tell them this shit was going down, yeah. right? Oh fuck! So there was nobody. You're no, really on your own. Yeah, we were on <laughs> our own. It was there was no backup. Oh my god, it was a fucking and nightmare. And this completely got only so, one way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it really was a nightmare. So anyway, um, eventually. Uh, we, we insisted to come use their landline and we managed to phone up to the chaos town where we you know, got hold of, because if we could get hold of Tula, who was kind of running the show, she was friends with a police chief up there. So to negotiate. To negotiate. So anyway, somehow it all worked, but we had the deal that we had to cut with the, with the, the police down there was that they had to all board the bus a bus that was going to be sent down with the agreement that they would consider to go to this island. Yeah. Everything. So, so basically just delaying things. Delaying but things. So yeah, we, but then we knew that, that we could wing do. it then if we could yeah. get. So, but we were still yeah. getting arrested. Yeah. <laughs> they were just putting it off. Yeah. So under their supervision, we were forced to go back out to them. I just roared, is there anyone that could speak English here? Got this guy. And I said, look, here's the story, man. Yeah. They're not going to force you onto the ferry, but they're saying that you're going to have to agree to go onto the ferry in a couple of days' time. But, yeah. but for now, they'll bring you up to the camp. I said, look, it'll be dealt with. Don't, you know, just, yeah. I think, just say yeah. yeah. Because otherwise, we're all here forever. There's not enough, there's more. You, you know, do there's not more, you know. And uh, so your man went, blah, 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 translated to everybody. There was an uproar again. And then he explained and he pointed to us and he went, they're going to jail if we don't do this. Do you want that? And everybody, no, right. Okay, on the bus. <laughs> like, you know, so like there was a big solidarity, you know, between us and all the, the guys. And But it was the most awful feeling that we had had to negotiate. We had negotiated. It must have felt a little bit like Sophie's Choice. Really. It, it was awful. Yeah. Uh, it was really, really awful. Um, we, we waited with them and... This probably had this whole movie had started about one in the afternoon, and I don't think the buses showed up until maybe half past twelve, one in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. And we had to stand there, the police standing watching us, and we had to make sure that they all got onto yeah. that. But uh, it was an awful feeling, and uh, then we uh, the day after that, yeah, the day after that. There was a court hearing. And again, it was look at the draw. Who was the magistrate? If the magistrate was left-leaning or right-leaning? Yeah. The left-leaning magistrate was on. And he fucked the police chief out of it down there. And he went, these people were down there helping people, yeah. giving them water, giving them food. What the fuck were you thinking about? Yeah. And, he, and he threw it out. <sighs> it was like such a relief. And then the next day, I was due to fly out. You had, but that was already arranged. Yeah, that was already arranged. Uh, okay. And I got up to Athens and uh, I met up with a Rami, a great friend who's a stateless person. He's a double refugee. He's uh, a Palestinian who grew up in a camp in Syria. Yeah. Okay. And uh, he had kind of more or less joined us and had helped us out loads. And it was just a total character. And he was based in Athens. So hooked up with Rami for the afternoon because I had loads of time to kill and we went and we had a beer and chat and yeah. good catch up, you know. And uh, then I went to get on the train, that's kind of a metro that goes out to the airport. And I got onto the train and had my backpack on. Yeah. 
I'd stupidly, I, I guess it's just from months of it, I was just knackered and not as normally copped on as I normally am in the city. But it had a bum bag that had my my passport and I said that. And I was, it was roasting and I had the bum bag here around here and I had a backpack and I had a, I had, you know, I had a rucksack and I had a really bad, just too many bags. Yeah. I was asking for it, basically. And I took the bum bag off and I stuffed it in the backpack. Yeah, I know. Mm. I can see mm. for the listeners Chris has just raised yeah. his eyes up to heaven and uh, so anyway <laughs> anyway I uh, went to get onto the metro and someone put an extra bum some- back and there and somebody <laughs> with extra credit pushed cards against me yeah. and there was somebody in front of me that wasn't getting out of the way and I said would you move I'm trying to get onto the train yeah. and I was like what the fuck man there was like a barrage of people trying to push me onto the train sure. then next thing your man moved he jumps off the other person jumps off I sit down bum bag gone Oh, they didn't put an extra one in there. No, they okay, just no, yeah. no. They had while <laughs> yeah, they, they were had, pushed. It was course, an Albanian yeah. gang. Yeah, yeah. And I and I was on my way to get Fuck. the plane, and my bum bag was gone with my passport. Oh, I was meant to be flying Ryanair. And uh, I, did you so collapse at that point? Did I you was end up just, in hospital? The head because was abs- that is head was absolutely melted. Yeah. Uh, I was like, oh my fucking god, what am I going to do? And this yeah. lovely woman beside me. She could see I was so distressed. I was like, where's my fucking papa? And, I was, and she went, right. She said, I'm going to get off the train with you in two stops time. There's tourist police. We're going to go and report it and everything like that. And she, so we did that. We reported it. The tourist police went, okay, it's reported. And I said, Ryanair won't let me on the plane without my passport. And they went, no, no, we're going to phone the airport now. And we're going oh. to tell Ryanair that you, they have to let you on. Yeah. So I was like, okay. So I got out to the airport and uh, I was in a distressed state now. I mean, I was just knackered. Well, you would have you know. been anyway after the uh, whole I experience been, yeah. of the last so couple of, anyway, or previous couple of weeks. Got up, so this has turned into a very long convoluted story. But anyway, um, got, got up to the, the check-in desk and your mum said, passport. And I said, no, there's a, there should be a note from the police on there. My passport just got stolen. And she went, no, you can't board. <laughs> and the next flight wasn't for another three days. And I went, no, I am boarding. And she went, no, you can't board. And I said, there was a letter from the police. And she went, well, I don't see it. And I said, can I talk to your manager? And she went, no. Oh, and I said, that's always a good one. Yeah. And I said, I, I, I just was so, I was actually just yeah. beaten. I was sat and I sat down and I went, what the fuck am I going to do? I have no money. I have no bank cards. I have no passport. I have, I have nothing. What am I going to do? And uh, it was just brain was, <laughs> brain was gone. Oh, yeah. And something snapped in me. I, I snapped. And I just went, fuck this. The last ounce of resolve you had. <laughs> fuck right? this. And I went back up and I went, I'm getting on that fucking plane. I want to talk to your manager. And she went, you can't. And I said, who do I talk to? And she pointed me over to Skydesk or something. She went, talk to them. Yeah. So I went, okay. So I marched over there. And at this stage, you know, I could feel the tears coming again, you know. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, Jesus. Keep it together. Twice in a few days. like yeah. <laughs> So anyway, and I said to her, and I said, she won't let me board. There should be a letter. And she went, she looked and she went, there is a letter from the police. And so she rang and she was just the opposite desk to this bitch over at Ryan. <laughs> and I hear her barking at her in Greek and the bitch come. And I went over and I handed my bags. At this stage, the flight was going to leave. Yeah. So they, a security man came and they put me on a, a little car yoke and they bet, <laughs> they bet me down to that plane like I never got moved yeah. through security so fast. Yeah. And I was put, I got onto the plane. And um, 
women will understand this, to add the icing on the cake, I got my period. <laughs> and I had no tampons or anything like that. Yeah. And, pardon, I thought that was on... Uh, Silent right. and uh, I said, No, what am I going to do? So I got out to the plane and went up to hostess. I said, I'm looking for it. Do you have anything? And she went, As soon as the plane takes off, come back up to us. Yeah. So that was grand. Plane took off, went back up. And I said, Sorry, just asking. And she went, I have a question for you. And I went, Oh, right. What's that? And she went, Red or white? <laughs> <laughs> Fate in humanity restored. Well, fair enough, that experience I will never have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So anyway, that was it. And then I got off the plane in Dublin and fate in humanity was further restored because I switched my phone on and it was a Facebook message from a complete stranger. They went, we're hoping this is the right person. We've seen from your photos you've been in Greece. I've just found your wallet in a doorway. Wow. <laughs> At <least that laughs> in Athens, and they found me on Facebook and posted it to me. That's great. It's so yeah. So anyway, but that that I, 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 that was like the bottle yeah. was fully emptied. I had nothing you more must in have me. More or less mentally collapsed. I did, yeah, I, I had nothing more in me. Yeah. I just you know couldn't do anymore. But you know, it's it's just coming to me now. Actually, I, I didn't want to interrupt you, but um, we lived in Italy for a while, mm. and uh, the judicial system and the police—it's the exact same thing. Obviously, there are traditional reasons for that, but it's either left or right, very little middle ground. Yeah. Um, but um, is is there anything? It's just coming to me now. Um, for people like yourselves who have been in those kind of um, yeah, in those situations, put themselves out there to help people, put themselves into extreme situations where there's a network to help. Those people who return from um, active duty, if you want to call it that, uh, in Ireland then to, to catch you, to, I don't know, have a, I don't know, a self-help group, or are you simply relying on talking to the people you know anyway? Um, if we had been part of a, a, an organization, for example, like perhaps the, the Red Cross or the Army mm. or something like that, for sure there would be. But yeah. because we were all a group of individuals, mm. No, there isn't. But we have often spoken about it. Even just the other night I was speaking to somebody going, do you know, I think we could all really do with just sitting in a facilitated yeah. group with somebody just to talk this out. Yeah. Um, like, I, I always think, I, I, it's, it's funny, I, I kind of had thought it was, it was fine. I was fine until I had to go through all the photographs yeah. the other day and, yeah. and read my blog post again and go... Well, it's an awful lot I never processed and it must be it's the same for all the guys like I, I for sure it's the same for all of them do you know it just came to me now because I mean with all that experience the, that, mm. the bag full of experience you have now mm. um, wouldn't that actually be something where you um, say okay I cannot go back there uh, I, I'm sure you have a life to live as well like you know yeah. and you need to acquire funds and go about your business and go about this and that and the other uh, personal relationships and all that so I cannot go out there for physical reasons for uh, financial reasons for all sorts of reasons but maybe actually I could pass on this knowledge this experience I've gained mm. it will never fully prepare a person to go out there for the first time yeah. but I could actually pass this oh look at we have actually some um, helper help group here before you go out um, talk to Maeve or a group like that's just coming to me now like yeah I mean I do get a lot of people contact me in fairness but the situation has changed so much it's like um, it's it's changed it's it's not uh, that that situation is never going to happen like that again it's it's not 
you know um well it's much so more fortified now it's, it's than a, this is it's fortress it europe is really 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 yeah. kicked in you know um it's it's look you have to look at the conditions of the people that have made it through and what they're still going through like i went over to uh, like since all that i went over to dunkirk and calais and i went to the mm. jungle and i yeah. spent uh a, a, you know just I just had kind of a long weekend there helping out on the camp and things like that and it was just after the camp had been burnt down so there was an awful lot of traumatised people trying to gather their belongings so a group of us went over and said come on will you have us for the weekend we'll give you a hand like you know um, and they're the people that have left the war zone gone through Turkey done the dinghy travelled through Europe and have ended up in a hellhole in Calais waiting for years to be able to climb onto the axle of a truck and hope that they make it into the UK. You know, this was, I, 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 the only description of that place was dystopia. Yeah. You know, like talk about the dream being shattered, you know, it's like, like for for all these people that just, (gasps) yeah, tough to know what goes on. Um, Obviously, we've all put ourselves into um, the position of the hero when we watch a movie, you know, but you never, you can only approximate what goes on in someone else's mind and with someone else's emotions. Situations are always individual and different Um, because I've seen the jungle grow basically from scratch. I don't fly anymore. I've given that up many, many years ago. So I would have done um, Italy, Ireland or, or Berlin, Ireland many times a year over, you know, about, 10 years like so I would have seen it grow and would have seen the fences go up and would have seen it dismantled yeah. too like mm. um, so I always wondered I mean when you're just traveling you just want to get from A to B and get the ferry and go home like but um, yeah it's fucking dire and you think like Jesus I've seen those guys now in around the motorway lurking in the bushes like yeah. wow um, do I feel threatened do I feel like I want to help but that thought while you're on the boat sticks with you because you have a couple of hours to kill and that yeah. really sticks with you. And yeah. how did that? How did those people get there? That's yeah. mind-boggling. Yeah. Like yeah. You know, coming from sub-Saharan Africa and yeah. taking boats and being yeah. thrown back into the desert and that's just crazy shit. Um, yeah, but um, the one thing I meant to ask you then as well. Um, would you actually know that this experience is well behind you in a timeline anyway? Um, would you have any reflections how particularly culturally diverse groups like people coming from the Muslim world, like yeah. and particularly men, because in Germany we caught mainly men I think it was something like 85% was young men like mm-hmm. you know who mm-hmm. went to uh, basically just secure their family's place to come over then set everything up that was the thinking behind it but there were obviously an awful lot of problems like particularly for German women um, with that whole mindset would you have a different perspective now on um, not religion as a concept yeah. but but on um, Muslim tradition and customs I learned a lot about it. Um, I I I I've I've much more knowledge about it now than I ever did before. Um, in fact, earlier this year I visited a Muslim country for the first time, and uh, I was very glad I had the background knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> you Where'd know, you I've never felt threatened. I have to say. Where did you go? 
I was just Morocco. But oh, Morocco, I was like, okay. you know, um, I tell you, a few words Arabic were awful handy there, the door opener. <laughs> 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 but um, yeah, uh, I have to say, I never once felt threatened. And I, yeah. I used to often, and I mean often, get yeah. people going, how do you know if they're a terrorist or not? Yeah. And I went, Listen, if they were a terrorist, I think they'd hardly be putting their lives at risk, hopping on a dinghy and getting soaked and traumatised and risking drowning. Like, they're ordinary people. And I think, you know, uh, there is a cultural difference. There absolutely is a cultural difference. Oh, it's very stark. Yeah, yeah. it's a stark cultural difference. But, you know, the longer people are in... And believe me, they are as shocked by... They're as culture-shocked. Oh, absolutely. They, they're like, here? well, what's going yeah. on here? You know, it's like some of them are coming from societies where they're just, you know, you don't see women yeah. out in the street or women just have a different placing in society. But like when you're looking at Syrians, for example, that was one of the most egalitarian of all the, 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 the well, society. Of you, you know, yeah. it really was. Um, Afghanistan's Afghan- a whole yeah, but different see, like you, like, yeah. you, if we. If if we were speaking to somebody of, say, Pete Brazier's age, mm. he'd remember Afghanistan as this place where it was part of the hippie trail. It was anything. Oh, yeah. People went over there to get stoned. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it was a completely different society prior to the, the yeah. you know, the, the, the onslaught of this Islamic revolution kind yeah. of thing. Um, you know, Islam has become more and more, and I hate to say this, and this is a broad, a very broad generalization. I'll give yeah. that as a caveat. But uh, Islam has become very polarized in certain parts yeah. of the world, and then as a result of that, there has been a kind of a reaction to that by non-Islamic people, which has then put everybody who is a Muslim into one pigeonhole which then pisses them off and they they feel they're getting treated differently as a result of it, which creates even more reaction. And it's a, it's a, it's an ever decreasing circle that's turning into something that's just, I think our world has got so polarized. It's just, it's just ridiculous. You know, it's gotten a lot smaller. It's gotten a lot smaller. Like, um, like Islam is actually a religion of love and peace. And people forget that. People forget that because we just hear Allah Akbar, and which it actually means just God is great, and they all say it about everything. Like, do you know what I mean? It's like us going, "Oh, Jesus, our God, yeah. or whatever." I mean, like they, they say it all the time, but because it's got associated with the jihadi kind of aspect of of it, that it's it, it, people have been made to be fearful of them, yeah. and fearful of their culture, and dismissive of their culture, and uh, it's. Education's needed on all sides, you know, like just as much as we need education of how uh, how an, an ordinary Muslim family carry on, which is very much the same as an ordinary Catholic family or whatever like that. They also, they don't get the, the luxury of getting educated about how our Western culture and mores are before they come, because they've had to leave in an urgent situation yeah. in general. Yeah. See, I grew up, uh, I basically grew up in a Muslim society. Like, let's yeah. let's leave the whole um, religious 
mm. aspect out of it. Um, I know my Hitchens. <laughs> I yeah. love it. But um, see, I am from Berlin, Neukölln, which um, West Berlin had about 2 million inhabitants and um, 10% of them were of Turkish origin. Yeah. And I don't distinguish here between Kurds and Turks and all the other ethnic yeah. um, groups uh, coming from Turkey. And they were basically imported in the late 50s and early 60s the by German... Scheme or, exactly, yeah, the Gastarbeiter. Yeah, yeah, to Gast work in the yeah. factories. Yeah. And um, so I grew up... Um, I, soccer was my thing. Soccer is a great leveler. Mm-hmm. And um, I played because I'm from that area where there were loads of Turks. And we called actually everybody a Turk who had um, dark hair and brown eyes, you know, whether they were from Morocco or Turkey in itself, like it was all on the pitch. Um, so in that way, um, I grew up um, in a strongly, um, in a society that was strongly influenced by Muslim tradition. And most of them were secular anyway, but they had their traditions, like, you know, they don't eat pork. And yeah. maybe if it's just to appease their parents um, out of habit, or they simply don't like bratwurst, who knows? Yeah. Um, but um, even those guys I grew up with um, uh, had their traditions and I still would, until we left Berlin, I still would have known some of them casually, meet them every now and then, obviously being older now. And, um, but they would look at the um, people coming from Afghanistan in particular um, being much more religious mm-hmm. and much more traditionalist in their approach to life as weirdos. What's wrong with those fuckers and the way they dress up the women and their attitude towards women and all this? And they would have a rational understanding. Yeah, sure, those guys grew up very differently from us. Like, we grew up in Berlin and we went to the swimming pool, boys and girls alike, and they don't do that. But they had a very um, kind of reserved attitude to this really strong Islamic culture yeah. and the approach to life. Yeah. And I'd say, like, that must be particularly for Western women, like, um, a, a thing where you would have all the empathy in the world for people coming from Islamic countries, yet their ways, uh, I don't know if I would really welcome that as mm-hmm. a woman, like, yeah. probably easier for a bloke. Um, I mean, all I can say to that is I never, I, I honestly never had a single negative experience. Yeah. Um, I, I am aware that there is, that there is culturally a difference in the attitude in, of some of them to, to women. But, I mean, that's the world. Like, it's, uh, you know, I grew up in Ireland where, uh, you know, until the late 80s, women didn't have a right to divorce, women didn't have a right to abortion, women didn't have a right to contraception. Mm-hmm. I grew up in a very, very mm-hmm. closeted religious society mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, the stones and glass houses spring to mind, yeah. you know. But, uh, like, I understand about preconceptions as well. Because I will give you, I have a confession in that before I went to Morocco earlier this year, I wasn't too keen on the idea of going to Morocco. I'd have gone to Syria at the drop of a hat, Iraq at the drop of a hat. And in fact, when, when I was traveling around the world, I did think about those places. But... I had had these preconceptions about Morocco, which was just by what I'd heard or somewhere in the grapevine that the men were sleazy and it wasn't a nice place to travel as a woman and everything like that. But my daughter, I have a daughter who's now 28 and she was keen to go. I went, fuck it, open your mind, Maeve. Do you know what I mean? Just just go. like. And see for yourself and come back with a bad experience, nonetheless or, or, experience. You know, so I, anyway, I did. I, I just, yeah, I said, yeah. mum, let, let's go. Well, I, honestly, before we even got off the plane, like we we we'd met two women who were sitting the aisle, at, you know, the other side of the aisle from us, 
uh, both my hijabs on and one of them had spoke yeah. English and we just got chatting and I said are you from Tetuan where we were flying to and she said well she said I'm Dutch but we're <laughs> all, all the family are, are down Go here you know and I said alright and uh, I said we're just wondering how do you get in from the airport into the centre and she went oh you'll have to get a taxi there's no public transport so anyway kept chatting and then we rode a passport queue kept chatting by the time we came out to passport queue she went I tell you what she says you wait there with my mother she says I'm going to drive you Oh, excellent. It was brilliant. So the mother, there was nobody messing with this mother. <laughs> and she put an arm around my, myself and my daughter and nobody was coming near us. Like, and, and the daughter came up and she drove us straight to where we were staying. And it was like, wow, hospitality's, you know, tick. And um, then we, you know, got to Tetuan and we met the guy who ran it. It was a kind of a, a guest house, a Riyadh, that we were staying there. Mr. Lofty, legend. He took us off, he showed us around, he brought us, showed us cafes, he introduced us to people. Uh, we didn't feel fabulous. once threatened. And then we were kind of like the, the Medinas, the, the sort of little laneways. It's a, it's a rabbit warren of laneways in every centre of every town in, in Morocco. It's just kind of, you could easily get lost. And we were, we'd gone somewhere and we were coming back and we were like, okay. And Google Maps does not work there. And we were like, yeah, <laughs> we're a bit lost, you know. And this woman in the full shadow, yeah. couldn't see anything, came towards us down the lane way. And she walked up. And as she approached me, she put her hand up to high five me. <laughs> I went, okay. What's so that? I, I high fived her. I yeah. said, You look lost. Yeah. And we went, Oh, yeah, we are. <laughs> so we told her where we we're going. She went, Come on, I'll bring you. And everything. The women are badass. <laughs> They're absolutely brilliant. But we did not have a single negative experience yeah. the whole time. We travelled all over Morocco. Which again, um, yeah, is looked like yeah. because you can go to Italy, Morocco, Yeah, we went into Mongolia. rural places, we went into city places. Sure. The only place that we felt remotely, not even threatened, just yeah. something, got, the intuition kicked in. We went, ah, oh, let's get out of here, was the Medina in Casablanca. Okay. But Casablanca is a dump. Just a, a, oh, it? a dump. I had all these romantic visions of Casablanca. Looked all right and, in the 1942 yeah. film. Oh my God. That actually wasn't even filmed there, apparently. In the, in that, that bar is not there. <laughs> it was in Hollywood or something. But um, we were... Of course. Yeah. But no, Casablanca really is a dump. The only thing that Casablanca has going for it is the uh, the, the mosque. It's the, it's the sixth largest mosque in the world. Oh, is it? And it was completed in the mid-90s. And it's the most spectacular piece of architecture I've ever seen in my life. It's enormous. Yeah. It's a, and it's one of the few mosques that yeah. non-Muslims can go to. Okay. And um, our minds were blown that. by it. It was just yeah. so beautiful. But uh, other than that, uh, no. The only, we only went to Casablanca because it was the only place in Morocco that was shown the Ireland-England rugby match. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not too bad. <laughs> Even though I suppose so, like, yeah. the Moroccans were yeah. probably sitting there what the fuck is that? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no, no. It was, it was, yeah. Us and a pile of French watching it, you know. And, the, and we caught the French trying yeah, to yeah. roar for England at one point. Oh yeah, sure. I was going, Do you there, call yeah. yourself a Frenchman? <laughs> 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 that was, uh, but, but uh, yeah, but, but anyway, yeah. No, I mean, sorry, I digress. No, like, so I, I, I had to have a serious word of myself about going. Jesus, yeah. the preconceptions you had about this place, and I can guess where it's coming from. It was probably from. People traveling there in the 70s and 80s when it was much more repre- repressed yeah. society. And and there probably was a bit of sleazing going on. Yeah. And it's that. Whereas now they're, they're, they have a, they've a very big realization that tourism is what keeps sustains a lot of that country. Well, they, yeah, the world they, got They don't smaller. want a bad yeah. word out about yeah, yeah. themselves. So they, like, yeah, yeah. people were just bending over backwards to help us out. 
Yeah, but again, you know, shit can happen anywhere. Like, you know, you went, through, you went through the islands that the refugee shit got arrested by the police and who robs you, some Albanian, yeah, yeah. on the metro in, in Athens. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, that can happen anywhere. I have met more sleaze bags in sure. a nightclub in Dublin than I have in all uh, my world travels all my life. Yeah. And they'll be Irish sleaze yeah, bags, yeah. do you know? Well, most of the Moroccans wouldn't. Probably, I presume, like I uh, wouldn't drink publicly as much as the yeah. Irish or the Germans or the uh, yeah. Belgians would, for that yeah, matter. Yeah, yeah. But no, I was just interested in this this sort of woman's take like on this because yeah. um, it only came to me lately in a discussion with a friend of mine. Um, do you know that the blokes actually have to deal with that kind of Islamic or Muslim cultural um, toxic masculinity? They yeah. have to be yeah. big blokes and ready to fight whether they're yeah. actually yeah. physically capable yeah. or not. They have to be the man. And we had that thinking back like we had it on the football pitch when I was a teenager, when I was a kid. Like, you know, they were all acting the big man. And yeah. uh, some of them were shiny. Like, you know, dude, there's not enough lot you can do, like, you know, yeah. other than just acting the, the lion here. Um, so they, they actually have some shit to deal with as well. I mean, they they're do, coming yeah. into, a, into a Western society as refugees or as Gastarbeiter, if you want, yeah. but they have to adhere to certain cultural norms from within their own groups, like yeah. they're living with, um, and have to deal with all those other things and still be the lion and they don't even speak the language. Yeah. That's that's shitty enough for blokes as well on yeah. another level. Yeah. You know? But So you would do it all over again, would you? I'd never undo it. Okay. No, oh no, not meaning like that, um, that you would go now next week or next year or mm. whatever and do that particular experience again, like going to the islands, being the first responder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That. No, but you, you really would say like, you know, that was an experience. Yeah. Um, you're fucking out great that you Yeah, and I'd it. never regret it. No, no, yeah. no, yeah, no, definitely not. And it was, uh, wow, yeah, like, Jesus, learning curve. Yeah. But... Uh, like no, absolutely, and uh, do you know I've main, maintained contact with people that are some of the most special people I know. Yeah, that yeah. I would not have known or met yeah. if I hadn't done that. Yeah, you know, and uh, it, it's yeah, there's very special people go and do that kind of yeah. shit. You know, yeah. <laughs> but you would, you would, you're talking about the helpers, like you would mm, probably not have. No, to I, I still have contact with some of the refugees. Oh, as really? well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Does it mean yeah. just the sheer volume, I'd say? Yeah, like, you know, yeah there's certain people that you just click with. Okay, uh, like you said, the bloke on the yeah, wall, you're sitting yeah. with him. I mean, there but, was a guy I met, yeah. I was only in Calais at the jungle for a yeah. weekend. Yeah. And we had one guy, um, we'll call him Khan. Uh, he acted as our translator all weekend, yeah. an Afghani guy. Yeah. Khan is one of the most special human beings I've ever met in my life. Yeah. And I've maintained contact to okay. with him to this yeah. To, to date, yeah, yeah. Um, he I was over in he made he made it he made it across yeah. in a truck, and uh, I I I connected up with him in the UK and I brought him to my family. I have a, a, a brother who's married to an Azerbaijani woman. Okay, and uh, they very culturally the Afghanis and the Azerbaijanis are very close. So. Okay. Oh, of course she was come on in and he just couldn't get over this Excellent. like you know and it was just lovely and we keep in contact and yeah. he's a very very special humanitarian human being 
I can't remember who was it. I think it was Jeremy a couple of weeks ago um, um, where we basically chatted and like the older you get and the more you travel and uh, the more people you meet, like, you know, it's just impossible to stay in touch even with Isn't the people it? you would want to because I mean, we all have shit to do, you know, yeah. and then there's always a new neighbor as such you have to deal with, a new work colleague yeah. you have to deal with. So something has to fall by the wayside, you know, the day yeah. only has 24 hours. And um, especially with social media, I, I, I think I actually find it boring to just send out a message how are you or what's the crap oh, I don't do that you know, well, I was never to do yeah. that like you know I was never the sort of person pick up the phone and do that either I, I go that shit, if somebody yeah. phones me I go you want what yeah, yeah. You know, I just, I've never been yeah. a chat on the what do you want yeah. no but it's, it's no, if you want to chat I'll meet you for a pint and talk shite exactly. all night like you know uh, yeah <laughs>